Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone, in the United States, in Canada, and in different time zones around the world. My name is Kennard Levi Brown, or Levy Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today, we will talk about something positive. I don't know if you've ever wondered why you were born. What's the purpose of mankind? We're going to talk about that today. The Bible does reveal that. So the name of this program is The Great Potential of Mankind. And if you really want to know what God has in store for you and anyone else that chooses to obey him, please listen to this program. It will be an inspiring program for you. And perhaps if you listen and you really believe what the Bible says, it will change your life permanently. First, though, I'm going to look at world news to see if there's anything significant that we need to pay attention to. For those who are familiar with my program, I go to um, K-O-E-N-I-G, I pronounce it Koenig's uh, International News website, World Watch Daily. You can go with me if you buy your PC. And what I do is uh, read the headlines here, and I do read a little bit more if it's uh, important for us to know. The headlines on this website, watch.org, Israel skeptical of Iran nuclear deal by deadline pledges to help Jordan push back ISIS, or ISIS. U.S. team staying in Vienna in bid to make July 20th Iran deal deadline. So again, we are dealing with the uh, prospect of Iran having a uh, thermonuclear bomb or nuclear bomb. Uh, United States says phones, this is domestically here in this country, phones, shoes to face scrutiny as airport security tighten. Fears, terrorists will target planes with computer and human bombs. All right, so... Netanyahu holds more security deliberations amid rockets rioting. And so there's uh, increased tension in the Middle East. Uh, Israeli aircraft attacked 10 targets in Gaza. And this all started, I think, with uh, three dead Jewish teenagers found in the land of Israel. 
called Palestine as well. So we need to keep an eye on what's going on in the Middle East because we know that things will start there and end there, as Zechariah chapter 12, first few verses, reveals. So let's take a look at domestic news. And what I do to do that, I go to the economic collapse blog. And for those who are looking for verifiable information, incredible information, he does a very good job of uh, not only writing the articles, Michael Snyder, but also he documents it through credible sources. It's a very excellent blog. I highly recommend it. And uh, the website address, again, is theeconomiccollapseblog.com. Theeconomiccollapseblog.com. And he states here, are you prepared for the coming economic collapse in the next Great Depression? That's a good question. Are you prepared? And he gives you things on this website to prepare for it. So he talks about ISIS again taking over Iraq using captured American weapons, which is uh, interesting here. It says ISIS is marching through city after city in Iraq, which Iraq is in the ancient territory of Babylon, and they are doing it with American weapons. Thanks to a series of stunning victories in recent months, ISIS has captured a vast array of U.S. military equipment, including trucks, Humvees, rockets, artillery pieces, and Stinger missiles. When the U.S. was pulling out of Iraq, we were extremely generous to the new Iraqi army. We basically armed them to the teeth with equipment that U.S. taxpayers pay for. But now that the new Iraqi army is folding like a $20 suit in the face of ISIS jihadists, vast quantities of that military equipment are falling into the hands of some of the most radical jihadists the world has ever seen. And considering the fact that ISIS also recently seized the equivalent of nearly $500 million in cash from a bank in Mosul, the leadership of ISIS won't be having much problem buying anything else that they might need either. ISIS is getting stronger with each passing day, and they are not going to be satisfied until the Iraqi government has been toppled. It is a geopolitical mess of epic proportions, and there don't seem to be any easy solutions on the horizon. So let's pay attention to what's going on there. Uh, he has these wonderful articles that I really appreciate that he writes. Right here it says, 18 signs that the global e- economic crisis is accelerating as we enter the last half of 2014. <clears throat> Again, 18 signs that the global economic crisis is accelerating as we enter the last half of 2014. Let me read a little bit of what he says here. He says, a lot of people that I talk to these days want to know, I quote, when things are going to start happening, end of quote. Well, there are certainly some perilous times on the horizon, but all you have to do is open up your eyes and look to to see the global economic crisis unfolding. As you will see below, even central bankers are issuing frightening frightening warnings about, I quote, dangerous new asset bubbles, end of quote, and even the World Bank is declaring that, I quote, now is the time to prepare, end of quote, for the next crisis. Most Americans tend to only care about what is happening in the United States, but the truth is that serious economic trouble is erupting in South America, all across Europe and in Asian powerhouses such as China and Japan. And the endless conflicts in the Middle East could erupt into a major regional war at just about any time. 
We live in a world that is becoming increasingly unstable, and people need to understand that the period of relative stability that we are enjoying right now is extremely vulnerable and will not last long. And then he states here the following are 18 signs that the global economic crisis is accelerating as we enter the last half of 2014, and you need to go ahead and click read more to read the rest of the article. Another headline, it says, Stone Cold Proof That Government Economic Numbers Are Being Highly Manipulated. That's a very, very good um, article there. So please, review this website at your leisure. Uh, it, it, it provides you with not only information to help you keep up with what's really going on in the news, but also it gives you information about preparing for what's about to go down. And a little below where it says, are you prepared for the coming economic collapse in the next Great Depression? It has the following in the menu bar. It has gold coins, silver coins, because we should invest in those things. Emergency food, uh, contact military surplus, preppers, his book. Uh, so preppers are people that are preparing for martial law, preparing for society to shut down. Uh, for example, uh, if there's an um, electronic magnetic pulse, uh, bomb or a device that turns off the electricity, then we all should be prepared to be able to live without electricity. And most people aren't prepared to live without electricity. And so this website should help you prepare for that. So anyway, enough of domestic news and um, geopolitical news or world news. And we are going to take a look at the great potential of mankind. Have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered why you were born? Creation of man. Let's go back to Genesis. Bereshit in Hebrew, the beginning. The beginning of the creation. Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It states the following. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And notice the word our. So God obviously uh, consists of uh, different personalities, obviously. Let us make man in our image after our likeness them have dominion over the fish. And I went over that the uh, last program I made. Who or what is God? And over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so again, let's let's notice and let's believe what the scriptures say, folks. And all this teaching that you've got, you got to compare it to what the scriptures say. And God, and, and God means in Hebrew, Elohim, and it means God's in the ordinary sense, the supreme God, magistrates, uh, can mean mighty judges, more than one. Now, again, Elohim is not a trinity. The word trinity is not in the Bible, but the Bible does reveal that God consists of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That can be easily proven out of the Scriptures. All right, then uh, I think I went over that uh, last week, but if you still have any questions about that, I can certainly send you additional scriptures. 
um, please email me, Kennard, K-E-N-N-A-R-D, at mercifulservantsofgod.com. That's Kennard at mercifulservantsofgod.com. And Elohim said, let us, plural again, make man in our image. And the Jews incorrectly teach, oh, these are angels. No, it's not angels because angels aren't made in God's image. <laughs> and so Elohim said, let us, again, Elohim, which is plural in Hebrew, said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness. So man looks like God, folks. That's what the Bible says. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he him. Then he told man, and God blessed him and said, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so let's, let's understand something. He created man in his image. So we think like that. We, we think like Elohim or God, and we uh, look like God. But also, he created us with the ability to rule over things and to recreate ourselves through the act, of course, of uh, sex. And he, he commands us to say, he says right here, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And subdue it. Replenish in Hebrew means to fulfill it, to satisfy it. Subdue it means to conquer it and have dominion. We have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And so he created man originally just to rule the entire earth. However, Let's turn to Hebrews. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 6. says, But one in a certain place, and that one was uh, David, because he's quoting um, a psalm of David when he asked this question, but the, the question was not, Answered in the, in the original psalm, said he would give mankind in Genesis chapter one verse twenty six to twenty eight, but the writer of Hebrews, which was God, but uh, some people don't think it was Paul. I don't care who it was, but it's, it's still scripture. And some people, or one particular person, I'm not going to give his name, is teaching that the book of Hebrews is not scripture. That's certainly incorrect. So much revelation in. Uh, the book of Hebrews, but in Hebrews 2, verse 6, it says, but one in a certain place testifies, saying, what is man? Actually, let me go to Hebrews 2, verse 5. It says, for unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come, wherever we speak. 
So again, that tells you that angels certainly aren't don't have the potential that man has. In verse six, but one in a certain place testifies, saying, "What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you visit him?" Verse seven. You made him a little lower than the angels. And then when you go to the original scripture that this was quoted in, it doesn't say um, little angels. Uh, It actually says, let's go back to Psalm 8, verse 5. Well, even in the King James Version, it's translated angels. But that word in the original Hebrew is Elohim. So the correct translation of that. To the, uh, let me see, if there is a correct translation. Uh, let's see. Yeah, in the New American Standard, it says, there's a correct translation. It says, Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory and, and majesty. Because that makes sense, because if we have greater potential than the angels. Obviously, he made us a little lower than, than God, not the angels. Okay, so, which is pretty interesting. Even though the angels, uh, they're more powerful than us, their spirit, um, we have greater potential than them. So anyway, getting back to Hebrews. Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 7. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, or than Elohim, crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Verse 8, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But, but, now we see not yet all things. All things is the entire universe, folks, put under him. Verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, or a little lower than Elohim, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Verse 10. So he tasted death, and that's talking about the penalty of death, eternal death for all of mankind. Because if he did not come, let's, let's hold. See, people, they read John 3, verse, John 3, verse 16, and they don't really understand what they're reading. But John chapter 3. John chapter 3, starting in verse actually 14. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. All right, so let's study and analyze the following scripture I just quoted. John 3, verse 15. It says that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Which means none of us have eternal life right now. Because there's quite a few that don't believe in him, and they prove it by what they don't do. But anyway, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. So that means if you don't believe him, you will perish. You may say, well, Canard, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, yeah, I do know what I'm talking about. Let me turn to Luke chapter 13 to prove it to you. Luke chapter 13, verse 2. And Jesus answered, saying unto them, Suppose ye that Galileans were sinners above all Galileans, because they suffered such things. 
verse 3. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then to make sure that you really understand that he's serious, in verse 5 he says in Luke chapter 13, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That word perish in the Greek, in the Greek, means apolami, apolami, and it means to destroy fully, to destroy fully. So your own Bible says that if you, if you don't believe in the Messiah, and it's not just saying I believe in the Messiah, Lord, Lord, Lord. No, it's, let me read the rest of John 3, verse 16, so you'll understand what you have to do, what you have to do to be able to reach the potential of man, which is to have rulership over the entire universe. John 3, verse 16, actually verse 15, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. That means to be totally destroyed. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, in other words, should not be destroyed fully, but have everlasting life. And so, let's understand something. If the Messiah did not sacrifice his life so that people can have the opportunity for eternal life, which is immortality, look at Romans 2, verse 7 for that proof, then none of us will be alive. Because verse 17 states the following. John 3, verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why does the world need saving? Well, why did it need to be saved? Because if he didn't come, the whole world would have been destroyed. That's what it's saying here. That's why he had to come, because that's what sin did. Sin causes death and destruction and decay and corruption. He came so that the earth can not be corrupted anymore and won't be corrupted. And that will happen when you see in Revelation chapter 20, 21, and 22, when he comes back, that process of purifying the earth and renewing the earth and the universe will occur. And it's all because of his sacrifice. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, that light was the Messiah. Look at John chapter 1. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So all this has something to do with deeds, which is the first doctrine, basic doctrine of God, repentance from dead works. If he wants us to repent from dead works, obviously he wants us to do alive works, and those are deeds that he approves of. And so... And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so we have to do good deeds. Verse 20, For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, or hates the Messiah. Neither comes to the Messiah, or the light, that not his deeds should be reproved. And that word reproved, in the Greek, means to, um, to be rebuked, to tell a fault. Okay? But he that doeth truth, so we have to do truth. This is such a revelation. No one hardly ever quotes John 3, verse 21. But he says, but he that doeth truth. What is truth? 
Psalm 119, verse 142 states that truth is all the instructions or the law of God. That's what the truth is. And in John 17, verse 17, uh, when Jesus prayed to his Father, he stated that the Father's words, which is this entire Bible, is the truth. He that doeth truth come to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. All right, so let's understand something. He came to save the world, ladies and gentlemen. The world needed saving. And not only the world, but the entire universe, folks. Uh, He came to save the world. John 12, verse 47 states plainly, Any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world. He, He didn't come the first time to judge the world, okay? But to save the world. The world needed saving, folks. That 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 really tells you the seriousness of him coming. Because if he did not come, none of us would be alive today. So let's understand that, the, the tremendous task that he had coming to the earth. So the Colossians tells you more about this great being called the Word of God. Colossians 1, verse 12, it says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which have made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13 of Colossians, chapter 1, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God? Right now, God is invisible to us, although... The Messiah revealed that he does have a form. The firstborn of every creature, and that means exactly what it says, that the Messiah is the firstborn of every creature. Verse 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions. Of course, he didn't create the Father, right? But uh, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, or the assembly, who is beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, whether it be things in earth or things in heaven, which is interesting. So this involves not just the earth, folks, but heaven. Not just the earth, but heaven. Entire universe reconciled by his death on the cross. Because remember, angels sin too. Colossians 1 verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile, that word reconcile, in the Greek, means to reconcile fully all things into himself. It means all things. <laughs> By him, I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. All right? So that was the purpose of his death, to reconcile the whole creation, to reverse the decay and, and the corruption that Romans chapter 8 revealed occurred because of sin. 
I just wanted to really explain that to you so that you'll fully understand why the Messiah had to die to, to save the physical universe, folks. Ultimately, that's why he died, including the earth and mankind. All right. So, we're getting to understand that not only is man made in the image of God, the Messiah is that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not saying that he is the Father, but any son looks like their father. That's what he meant by that. And I explain that fully, and I think I do anyway in the, in the other program, but just in case I de- didn't explain that fully, let's turn to John chapter uh, 14. John chapter 14. Verse 9, he said, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest that then show us the, the Father? Then he explains what he means here in verse 10. Believe thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So he's talking spiritually here. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he does the works. Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. These two, two separate beings here. Or else believe me for the works sake. All right? So he's not the father, but him and his father are one. Uh, the Hebrew concept for that is ehad. And it means that they are in unity. How do I know that? Well, he defined how his father are one in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 21, that they all may be one as thou father in me and I in thee. They, referring to the people that believe him, his assembly. And so again... I think I explained this before uh, when I spoke last time. In an assembly, we're all one, but we are different individuals. We're the same thing with God, uh, the Father and the Son. And that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. In verse 22, and the glory which thou gave me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that they, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. So, ehat means one. It's the same word that's used in the scripture where it states that a man and a woman become one flesh, ehat. They're two individuals, but they're one in unity. All right? That's the same word that's used for when they gathered in the Tower of Babel, or Babel, and God stated that the people has become as one, ehad. All right? So that's that's very important to understand that, uh, that God is ehad. There's a God, but God consists of more than than one person. It's just the way it is. God's not a trinity. Because in a lot of cases, uh, even in the epistles of Shaul, it just talks about the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit is rarely mentioned. But the Holy Spirit also is the Messiah and the Father's Spirit, So, and the Spirit is an entity, a person or individual. All right, But in most cases, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are spoken of in the Scriptures. It's usually just the Father and Son because the Spirit, and they have spirits. 
and that spirit gets transmitted from their spiritual bodies. Just like when we die, right, our spirit is separated from our bodies, but with the Father and the Son, they <laughs> they have eternal life. So it's transmitted in a way perhaps we don't understand, but in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 it explains that the spirits of the Father and the Son is split into seven spirits. So, so that's what the, your Bible reveals there about the Holy Spirit. It, it, it is it, it is God too because it's a part of God, but it's the the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son. And, and I explained that in the uh, the program that I uh, made, the last program that I made. But if you have any other questions about that, I can quote you additional scriptures to prove that. Um, you can start with Revelation chapter four. And to read that, that will reveal some things to you. But if you have further questions, um, please email me at canard, K-E-N-N-A-R-D, at mercifulserviceofgod.com. And so hopefully you understand Ehad uh, being one, that the Father and the Son being one. So anyway, so you understand that he died to give us the opportunity for immortality. That's why he died, folks, because uh, if you look at Genesis, many people think that we have immortal life right now. We do not have immortal life. Let me prove that to you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. You, you understand what happened that Adam sinned. Okay, so this was the result of his sin. And verse 22 of Genesis chapter 3, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us again. Plural. God is identifying himself as being plural. To know good and evil, and now that not he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the tree of life, if you look at the book of Revelation, symbolizes immortality, eternal life. So this is what God did, though, in verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. And so he drove out the man, and he placed to the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So the, the way of immortality was blocked, folks. It was, uh, it was blocked. And you say, well, Kennard, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I do know what I'm talking about because I'm going to show you the scriptures that proves what I'm saying. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6 for those who think we have immortality. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, I'll start with that scripture. Actually, verse 14, the context. 1 Timothy 6, verse 14, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show the blessed and only pontitate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the title for the Messiah. Verse 16, who only has immortality, so... Of course, if Yeshua has immortality, the Father certainly does, all right? Who only has immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power and everlasting. Amen. Okay? And so, so he, he only has immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. So, if you want to believe your Bible, only God 
has immortality. It doesn't say that angels have immortality. And we need to understand, what is immortality? Do you know? Well, the Bible reveals what immortality is. Let's turn to First Timothy, First Corinthians, rather, chapter 15. First Corinthians, chapter 15. Let's understand what immortality is. First Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So a human being cannot enter or inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. I get some one individual teaching that it does, and it doesn't. So a corrupted human being is a human being that's flesh and blood, flesh and blood. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In verse 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we should be changed. Now, incorruption, you'll see, means corruptible, must put on incorruption. So if mankind has to put on incorruption, that means we don't have immortality. And this mortal must put on immortality. And so being incorrupted means you're immortal. Being corrupted means that you are mortal. All right? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? All right? So you should understand being incorruptible means you're immortal. Being corruptible means that you're mortal. And that's the state of mankind right now. Only one human being is immortal. That's the Messiah. And only God ultimately is immortal, which Yeshua is part of the Godhead. So that is truth that you need to sink in. And so in Romans chapter 2, let's understand something that immortality is linked with eternal life. Romans 2 verse 7. To him... To him to them, rather, who by patient continuous and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. So immortality has everything to do with eternal life. If you have eternal life, you have immortality. All right? So I just want to clarify that for those who perhaps never heard that before. So no human being other than the Messiah, because he still is considered a man, okay, for those who don't believe that, uh, let me quote you a scripture here, because uh, he is still considered a man, but he's a superman. <laughs> and that's where we get the concept of superman, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he is uh, he's our mediator. I'm trying to find that scripture here. First Timothy 2, verse 5. It states plainly. It says, uh, oops. Okay. For there is one God and one mediator, between God and men, the man, Yeshua Messiah. So he is still called a man, but he's an immortal man. He is a spiritual man, fully spiritual, because he has a spiritual body. And that's when you're immortal, that's what you have. You have a spiritual body, ladies and gentlemen. You have a spiritual body. And uh, you are able to do things that normal human beings could not do. And you don't have any blood anymore. Although you can manifest your body on the physical plane. 
But uh, let's, let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to understand that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 states plainly right here. Verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> it is sown in corruption or planted in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. We, none of us have a spiritual body, which means we do not have immortality. Verse 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, which is the Messiah, was made a quickening spirit. We will be made quickening spirits as well. Verse 46, howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven, which is pretty interesting. It tells you our potential, right? They also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Please get this into your mind. That that's, that, that's the incredible potential of humanity for us to become Elohims. We're going to become his children. We're going to become God's children. Because in Hebrews chapter 2, Verse 9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Verse 10, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory. So he's not going to be the only son of God, folks. There's going to be other sons of God. And bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So there's going to be many sons of God, believe it or not. And I have one minute and 31 seconds. I'm going to go over a little bit here because I want to quote some other scriptures so that you understand what our incredible potential is. And uh, so I'm going to go off the air, but you can listen to the entirety of this program in the archives. I anticipate that I'll be done in the next 15 to 30 minutes. But uh, I need to spend some time on this because this is very important for you to know. You need to know what our great potential is. Um, should you decide to want to obey God, he's going to reward you mightily for it. And so I'm going to go into detail, program about that. And believe me, he's a fair rewarder of those that do good. And you need to understand that. Okay, so let's analyze John chapter 10, because I did quote that scripture for this particular program. And he states here, actually John chapter 10, verse 33, the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because thou, being a man, makest thyself. Okay, there's another scripture, too, that I went over that kind of explains what the whole issue was with him uh, being labeled as God. And scripture here, I think it's in John. Let me find it here. In John, 
John chapter 5, verse 18. John chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Shabbat, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So that was the issue, because uh, he said that, that God was his father. To Jews, that is like making yourself equal with God. And equal meaning that you, you have similar characteristics, similar personality. Uh, you're similar in a lot of ways because in many ways the son is like the father. The son is like the father. So that's what they meant. So let me take a look at the Greek word for equal in the scripture. Equal. Similar. Yep, that's what it means, that he's similar similar to God. And, and God said that we are similar to him. So, so I, don't, I don't think they really understood the scriptures itself. And another scripture that proves that they're two separate beings and people struggle with this. So John 5, verse 19, therefore answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you that the Son can do nothing of himself, but what, what, what he sees the Father do. For whatever things, so if he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. All right, so let's go back to John chapter 10, starting in verse 33. It states, the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, maketh thyself God, or Elohim. And in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are Elohim. Now, for your convenience, I quote the scripture that he's referring to at the beginning of this program in audio form each and every week. For a reason, because I want people to realize their incredible potential. Verse 35, if he called them Elohim, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, verse 36, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified, or set apart, and sent into the world, thou blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God. So do you realize what he's saying here? He's saying that, hey, <laughs> I'm calling you Elohim. I'm calling you Elohim. There's only going to be one ultimate almighty God. That's the Father. But you know what, folks? The father wants children, and he's going to get what he wants. He's going to get what he wants. Let me explain something to you that perhaps you have never understood. In Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. It is revealed here that the relationship of the husband and wife is similar to the relationship of the Messiah, Christ, and the church, or the assembly. Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, shall be one flesh, or ekad. Ehad, okay? Verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning the Messiah, and the assembly, or the church, Christ and the church. All right, so this is a lot in this. I want you to really focus on what I'm going to tell you here. So the husband and wife relationship 
is similar to the relationship of the Messiah and his assembly. It means the Messiah is the husband and the church is his wife. How do I know this? Well, Paul alludes to this here. It says, it, Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as the Messiah, or Christ, also loved the assembly and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That's what the Messiah is doing to his betrothed wife or engaged wife right now, who are the believers. They're the first fruits, and they are his wife. But the marriage hasn't been consummated yet. And then on the physical plane, of course, you know, a husband and wife, they consummate the marriage by having sex. There's no sex in the kingdom, so we're going to consummate it in some way that we don't understand. Because remember, the marriage of Christ and the church is on a spiritual plane, down on the physical plane. But anyway, that he might present it to himself a glorious assembly, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so, again, the husband and wife relationship is similar to the relationship of Christ and the church. The husband is Christ. The wife is the assembly. Now, you need to understand how the Bible reveals and how Jewish tradition reveals how a, a mate is sought. The father... Uh, when you go back to Abraham, who was a type of God the Father, what did he do uh, to find Isaac a wife? Well, for a wife for Isaac. Well, similar, uh, in a similar fashion, the Father is looking for a wife for the Messiah. In John chapter 6, John chapter 6, starting in verse 44, he states this, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him or influence him or drag him and I will raise him up at the last day and so in verse 45 it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God every man therefore have heard and have learned of the father cometh unto me so it's not every person just like when a man <laughs> uh, desires a woman he's not desiring every woman on the earth it's a particular woman that he's desiring well that's the same thing right now with the Messiah there's certain characteristics that he's looking for for uh, you to be considered uh, his bride. And so, if the relationship between a husband and wife is similar to Christ and the church, which it is, and, you know, right now we are betrothed, we're not completely, um, we haven't completed the marriage or consummated the marriage because in Revelation chapter 19, it states the following, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So we have to make ourselves ready, and our husband is doing that through, through helping us understand the Word of God, and the Word of God is washing our minds and, and helping us become clean. And helping us come to this point, in Revelation 19, verse 18, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. In other words, no sin to be found. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So we haven't gotten to that point yet. And then we, we will, though. And in verse 9, it says, of Revelation chapter 19, he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, you know the prophecy about a man and a woman, that also that they should be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Well, uh, when we marry the Messiah, we are also going to do that. We are going to have children, spiritual children. Because in Isaiah, Isaiah, what does Isaiah say? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Yes, he's an everlasting father because he's the, the last Adam. He's the last Adam. And also in a more accurate uh, translation of the scripture, uh, it says in, in the Septuagint, the uh, first uh, translation of the uh, Tanakh or the Old Testament into another language in Greek, Isaiah 9, verse 6, For a child was born to us, a son was given to us, of whom the sovereignty be became upon his shoulder, and is called his name of great counsel, messenger, wonderful counselor, God mighty, pontitate, ruler of peace, father of the about-to-be eon. All right? And so he's going to be the father of the world to come. All right? So... Uh, says, for I will bring peace upon the rulers and his health. And it states in the Septuagint, and, it, and great is his sovereignty, and of his peace there is no end upon the throne of David and his kingdom to set up and to hold in judgment. Now the King James Version is a more accurate translation in reference to that scripture. It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. There shall be no end. So, the Messiah and the bride's kingdom will expand. And to know that they're going to birth children, it says this in, in Revelation chapter 22, even now, since we already married, we're trying to birth children. But that's going to certainly extend when we are the marriage is consummated. Revelation 22 verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride, the Spirit is also the Spirit of Messiah. So that's Messiah. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that hear come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Okay, so we know the potential of man involves the marriage of the Messiah and his bride, which is the assembly, the called out ones of God. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1, plainly states in the parable, and Jesus spoke, answered Matthew 22, verse 1, And Jesus answered and spoke unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son. That certain king is a father. Yes, and the father is making a marriage for his son. That's what this is all about. And once that marriage is consummated, that union in a spiritual way that we don't understand. So that's the incredible potential of man, ladies and gentlemen. Revelation chapter 21. Verse 7 says plainly, verse 25, I'll read this. It says, and he sat upon the throne. Well, actually, let me read, starting in verse 1, because it's so beautiful. Revelation 21, verse 1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, or renewed heaven and renewed earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. In verse 2, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In verse 3, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, 
and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, no crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. In verse 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. Verse 6, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, the entire universe, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Verse 8, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which in death. And so I know it sounds incredible, uh, but it's true. We will have joint rulership with God the Father, with him being in ultimate command, with Yeshua, Jesus being in second in command. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that we will judge angels. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, Do you know not that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 3, Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? So we're going to judge the world and judge angels. That's the potential of man. And Daniel, and Daniel, Daniel, chapter 12, Verse 2, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life, immortality, and some to shame and everlasting contempt, destruction. Verse 3, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. So it's saying again, those that are wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now, in Philippians, it states that our bodies will be similar to the Messiah's body. Turn to that scripture to get the proof of that. That's Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Philippians 3, verse 21 states, actually verse 20, says, for our conversation or our citizenship, that's what it means in, in the Greek, our, for our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, Messiah, or the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Who shall change our vile body? What does vile mean in the Greek? Vile. It means depressed, humiliated, low estate. So we have a, on a fleshly plane, we're to God of a low estate. Who shall change our low estate body, that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body, according to the working whereof he is able to subdue all things unto himself. He has a spiritual body, but we will, of course, look like, because we're going to be one with him. So what does the Messiah look like? Well, let's turn to Revelation chapter 1. It gives us a, a picture of what he looks like. Revelation 1, verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spoke or spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst, or in the middle of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and gird about the paths with a golden girdle. Verse 14. His head and his hairs were white like wool. It doesn't say his, his hair was wool, but it says that his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. 
and his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. In verse 16, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And then he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And so we're going to look just like that, folks. We're going to look similar to because our body's going to be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Because we have to be ehad, one with him. A wife is one with her husband. So we're certainly going to look like him and, and uh, be like him and share in his glory. Revelation chapter 2, let me give you the rewards that the saints were received here. Let me uh, reveal the rewards. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, he says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. The Spirit is the Messiah. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In other words, we will have immortality, eternal life. Let's look at the second thing that we'll receive. Verse 11, He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcomes shall not be heard at the second death. In other words, we will have immortality, eternal life. We will not be destroyed. We will not perish. We will not be destroyed fully. Verse 17 of Revelation chapter 2. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit or the Messiah says unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna. And will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saying, He that receives it. Okay. Verse 26 of Revelation chapter 2. And he that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end. You have to keep the works unto the end. To the end of your life or the end of if you're still alive when he comes back. To him will I give power over the nations. Not just over the nations, over the entire universe. Uh, because we would inherit all things eventually. Verse 27. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. Even as I have received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. In other words, you will live forever. You will not die and be destroyed. But I will confess his name before, I mean die to second death and be destroyed. But I will confess his name before my father and, and before his angels. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. And verse 12. He that overcomes will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and um, I will write upon him my new name, so the bride will be, their headquarters will be located in the New Jerusalem. Verse 13, he that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcome, Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. I'm going to quote a couple more scriptures, and then I'll complete the program. Revelation chapter, no, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, 
Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So, you know, the Son of God, there's one, but there's going to be others. Verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ means sharer by lot, inheritor, possessor, and possessor of the universe, and joint heirs with Christ, since we are his bride, is so that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature, or the creation, the creation, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And why? Verse 20, For the creation was made subject to vanity or meaningless, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. So the entire creation, ladies and gentlemen, is under corruption in a state of decay. It says, because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The children of God will participate in turning the creation into incorruption. Verse 22, this is the reason why Paul states about the creation, for we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain until now. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and, and travaileth in pain until now. Verse 23. And not only they, but also ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. So we are again the first fruits. All the way back from Abel until now. We're all first fruits, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. The redemption of our body. The salvation of our body. We're going to have immortal bodies. Bodies of incorruptibility. And then the through us being saved, we are going to save the entire creation. It will all be changed to incorruption instead of the bondage of corruption. The entire universe. Why do you think we have all those planets out there? We're going to create on those planets, ladies and gentlemen. The increase of his government will never end. That is our incredible potential, ladies and gentlemen. Believe that. First Corinthians chapter 15. Let me give you a summary of the plan of God. I can go into detail, and perhaps I will in future programs, but I just want in, in a simple way, in a very simple way. And let me, let me uh, read this to you here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith also vain. It's meaningless. So if he didn't come and shed his blood and die and resurrect, none of us would be alive. That's what he's trying to say here. Verse 15. Yes, and we found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ. 
Yes, and, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, is so be that the dead rise not. So in other words, we're all liars, or they are liars, the apostles, if the Messiah was not risen. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. In verse 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, is meaningless. You are you are yet in your sins. In verse 18, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. In other words, they, they're never going to live again. They're never going to live again. And perish means, in the Greek, to destroy fully. So if Christ was not risen, that's what would have happened to all of mankind. All of mankind would have perished. Understand that. Put that in your mind. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 18 proves this. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. They never would have lived again. And so when that word means perish, it means perish, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't believe in the Messiah, you will perish. You will no longer live. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 18 proves that. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable because we will never live again if the Messiah did not come and sacrifice his life. If the Messiah did, was not resurrected, none, no human being would ever live again. That's what he's saying here. First Corinthians 15, verse 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. He's just the first of the firstfruits of them that slept. Verse 21, For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead, of another man, a superman, a immortal man, a man with a spiritual body, a man that's on, on the level of God himself. Okay, That man is the Messiah, since he's the image of the invisible God. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead, verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Everyone's going to be resurrected, but whether or not all those people will be granted immortal life, that's going to be up to their obedience. All right? Verse 23, but every man in his own order. Christ, so he was the first human being that was resurrected, the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. So when he comes back, those who prove to, to the Messiah that they do believe him will also be changed and become immortal. Verse 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed, his death will be destroyed. For he shall put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, or the universe is put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, the Father is accepted, of course, which did put all things under him, under who? The Messiah. Verse 28, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subjected unto him, that put all things under him, that Elohim may be all in all. May the great Elohim bless and keep you, and Yah willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace.
Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. <laughs> 